65,498 square miles. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. This is Spanning the State. Here's your host, Kristen Bry. Good afternoon, and welcome back to Spanning the State, day two, the show where we highlight stories from across the state and break down headlines that affect the whole state. Today, my guest co-host is the one, the only, the reason I have a radio career, <laughs> right? Steve Scafidi. That's not really true. You have a radio career because you're good at what you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. But truly, I mean, we're, we're going about four years since we first... Since you first slid into my DMs yeah, and said, do you want to come on my show? I saw your social media work, and I said, this is someone that has something to say, and it does it in a funny, snarky way, which I appreciate, but also from a point of view that knows of what she's speaking about. So I brought you on the show, I think, once or twice, and then we said, let's do this every like Wednesday at 11, and then you went on to great fame at another station, and here you are now at WTMJ. So it's kind of exciting. And now we're t- teammates again. Yes, I, and I take no credit, because your talent is what shines. Thank you, Steve. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very excited. You're going to join me. You're joining, obviously, here today. But until we find a permanent co-host, you're going to be with me on Mondays. So we'll be able to do a little bit of the banter that I think we were pretty good at when I used to come on your show. I mean, it's not like the dating game where we're all trying to win your attention, <laughs> and then one of us... And... Yeah, I'm not Regis looking for my Kelly, or (laughs) Kelly looking for my Michael Strahan, and then Ryan Seacrest, and then her husband. Maybe I'll get my husband to finally just come be my co-host. I I think I suggested that to you once, because that that would probably be an interesting rapport, and there has been a history of of husband and wife teams. On radio? Um, Yeah, mostly in Chicago. Interesting. Yeah, but not so much here. Well, we had had, uh, Howard Garnett and Rosemary Ross on TV, like Channel 4. This is way before you were born. Yeah. Old people talk. Old people talk. Mm -hmm. All right. Well... We have a great show planned today. Uh, as we already teased uh, at the end of the midday news, we are going to talk a little bit about fine wine and some fine wine that you can find in Wapaka that has been aged in the Adriatic Sea. So our guests are going to be in studio with us at 1.30 to talk about that. Then in the second hour at 2.15, we're going to talk about what can and cannot be done when it comes to the rural health care crisis that is happening throughout Wisconsin. We're going to be talking to Caitlin Shuda of the Wisconsin Rapids Tribune. And then at 2.30, there's no crying in baseball. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. League of our own. On this day in Wisconsin history, the All-Americans, All-American Professional Girls Baseball League was formed. So we're going to be having some fun with a historian who has written about uh, the teams that were in Wisconsin, but also a granddaughter, Tracy Sunday, Whose uh, her grandmother played in the league and one was one of the original players when it first was formed. So I'm so excited to talk to them about the legacy of that league. There's so much baseball history in Wisconsin that we're not. A lot of us aren't even aware of, and we we know some of this because of League of Our Own, of course, the great movie with Tom Hanks and all the great female stars in that movie. It, it is something that we should celebrate. And Absolutely. The fact that we, I, I've never talked about it on the radio. That that's a shame. But it also it's it's so much rooted in women's sports and i think specifically in the last couple years and i'm going to touch on this in the second hour you know we see record numbers watching women's college basketball caitlin clark Clark. oh my goodness Uh, but even this weekend with the all-star game and sabrina ionescu almost beating (laughs) steph curry which would be an achievement and you know i think so much of the what we have today with women's sports can be traced back to the all-american girls professional baseball league this is like a cliche, but as the father of two young women, I mean, they're 35 and 37 now, I'm proud when I hear stories like this because, you know, 
I didn't really raise them. I was traveling. My wife did such a yeah. great job. But they've achieved so much. And, and the fact that women are being recognized the same way men have been for, you know, all these millennia is, is pretty cool. Very cool. Well, I'm actually very excited about our next topic. You wanted to talk about this as uh, traffic calming, which is a very calming way to put this when you talk about what it's really talking about is how we're curbing reckless driving. Yeah, it, it's the opposite of what's happening, right? Yeah. Reckless driving, chaotic driving. You know, I can remember the days working up at, at Radio City on Capitol Drive. It was you took your life into your own hands going to work. I like the idea, two things. I like the fact that people are looking at this, but two, they're looking at it from a data perspective. Absolutely. Does it actually work? And we got we have a, a great guest that's going to talk about that. It's exciting. Yeah, so when we come back, Jeremy Janine of Urban Milwaukee is going to talk about the efforts and the projects that have been happening over the last couple of years in Milwaukee to curb reckless driving, referred to as traffic calming. Is it working? What data are they looking at? And then also looking ahead at the, I think it's 45 projects that are planned yeah, that haven't busy started year. yet. Yeah, b- very busy year. Uh, Studying Unlimited WTMJ News Time is one you You're listening to Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State on WTMJ. I'm your host, Kristen Bry, along with my guest co-host, Steve Scafidi. And when you live in Milwaukee, it's inevitable that you're going to hear conversations on what we should do to curb reckless driving. It is very much a reality that we have to deal with. And people talk about stricter punishments, bringing back driver's ed, making it mandatory, red light cameras, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit. But one thing you've definitely noticed, at least I've definitely noticed in the last year, is how many projects have popped up that really are focused on redesigning the streets. And so here to talk about whether or not those efforts are worth the money, are they working, is president and co-founder of Urban Milwaukee, Jeremy Janine. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, and congratulations on your new show. Thank you. Happy to have you as one of our first guests. So... So of the projects that have already happened, what are kind of the big ones that you recently wrote about? So there are some major things underway in the city of Milwaukee that take years to play out. Like you're looking at Walnut Street, just west of Pfizer Forum across Interstate 43. That went from a four-lane road to a two-lane road with a a, essentially what is a bike path next to it. So a, a complete transformation of that street. And then you're looking at much smaller projects, much cheaper projects to just do these little, they're called bump outs, little concrete islands that are in the parking lane. They kind of hug the street a bit because when you think about the open road, you think about speed. So the idea is to kind of unopen the road, close it up a little bit, narrow it down, and that causes people to slow down. And that that specifically, if I'm imagining it right in my head of what those bump outs are, specifically help with the what colloquially known as the Milwaukee slide? Yes, the Milwaukee slide where someone illegally passes you on the right at a really high speed. That's the most dangerous thing, and they help you, or they help stop that. But they also have been showing, and this is what that, TPW, Department of Public Works data shows, they're generally causing people to slow down a little bit, which is good for safety. I had the mayor of Milwaukee on Kevlar Johnson on the program a couple weeks ago, and we talked about this issue because I think your story had just come out. And he's very excited about the possibilities, but the thing that he noted and the thing that I took away from that interview, data-driven. I love the fact that they're looking at hard data. I guess for me, the, the link to that is you can see what's actually happening on the streets. It's not speculation. It's not politics. Because we know this issue, reckless driving, is very political, yep. as somebody who does a political show. Is that the sense you get that the mayor seems to be committed to this? Yeah, I think the Department of Public Works, and I, I talked about like with Walnut Street, things take years. 
to play out. Well, to get the data, it's going to take years because you got to get it before. You have to know where you started. Yeah. And you can't just put stuff in and then be like, oh, we forgot to get it. You've missed your window. So now we're seeing some 2020 data merged with this now data on what's happening on the streets now that they've been modified. How has the speed been affected? That's a big factor, right? Focus on speed. Yeah. So if you're looking at Oklahoma Avenue near Humboldt Park, they put in these bump outs. Uh, what used to be a four-lane street is now two lanes with a center turning lane. Um, these bump outs cause cars that are turning to slow down because they can't kind of diagonally cut. They have to do a 90-degree turn. And they saw average speeds drop from 34 to 30 miles per hour. That's actually hitting the speed limit now, so that's good. Uh, and then on Lapham Street near South Division High School, uh, and there's another elementary school on that street, speeds actually dropped from 30 miles per hour to 25, which means they lowered speeds below the speed limit. So that, I guess, is a political consideration then is, what should the speed limit be, or is that exactly what we want? But there was some controversy with that project, right? Absolutely. The Department of Public Works, in an interview with me, openly admitted that the project itself seems like it worked, but the communication aspects were lacking, and that's because that project is different than the Oklahoma project. There's not concrete in the road. There's these little plastic pop-up dividers that push the bike lane towards the curb, and they move the parking inward. So the parked cars are protecting the bike uh, lane, and that causes confusion for drivers at first. Is there a connection to police department enforcement action, uh, just having a conversation with law enforcement on these issues, on that calming? There's long been, from a national perspective, this three E's approach to traffic uh, safety, education, enforcement, engineering. We're talking about engineering today, but I think you need to remember education, both in terms of driver's ed and communicating to drivers, like we just talked about was missed, but enforcement is an absolutely essential piece. You can't stop someone from running a red light. We're talking to Jeremy Janine, president and co-founder of Urban Milwaukee, around the efforts to calm traffic or curb reckless driving. And so of the data that we have of what's working, how much is that able to be implemented in the planned projects that haven't started yet? So uh, it's interesting uh, data. I think you'd want to see it because every context is a little bit different. There's going to be a different number of parked cars. But what we've seen is two different road designs. They both seem to work, and the city is rolling out those designs in several other places. Um, as anyone that's driven in Milwaukee has probably encountered a speed hump, we know those are work because we probably hit those too fast and gone, oh, no, <laughs> and a bunch of words you shouldn't say on the radio. Uh, those you know work. They, they give you immediate feedback. But it's good to see that the money being spent, got several million dollars now on these other projects, is working, and that those same designs are being rolled out elsewhere. That was my next question. Where's, where do the money comes from? So a couple different pockets of money. The Oklahoma Avenue Project, the Lapham Project are funded by, and I won't give a dissertation on uh, pandemic aid, but federal funds. Uh, That money will essentially run out at the end of this year. Uh, There's other money, like seeing on Capitol Drive near Midtown Center, that's coming from a tax and experimental financing district. Uh, The new Northwestern Mutual Project downtown, the city, like it did with the first tower, will tap that project, the increased property tax revenue, to pay for things as state law allows within a half mile of that project. So looking ahead at the projects that are planned, I wanna—I don't know if this is true or not. I'm a big fan of roundabouts. I know some people hate roundabouts, but one, Wisconsin has some of the most roundabouts in any state, I think, in the country. Yeah, we might be number one. Yeah, I think we are number one. Yeah. Is there plans to put more roundabouts throughout the city? There's not in the sense of roundabouts. If you think about roundabouts, you often see them in these like large highway off-ramp contexts because they consume a lot of space. Yeah. So in a lot of city neighborhoods, they don't really work because uh, there's just not space for them. But they are uh, deploying traffic circles in certain areas, which is that bump out kind of in the middle of an intersection. Uh, they're seeing, at least anecdotally, I haven't seen any actual hard data on this, but different success with people driving over the top of those 
you have a certain political choice to make whether how much you want to damage someone's car when they cross it. I, I always focus on politics because that's what I do. Is there a lot of interest from state politicians in ideas like that, given that we're talking about Milwaukee? It, it, it seems like a common sense thing, but I know how politics works in Wisconsin. They often look away from Milwaukee. There's definitely, so the mayor held a press conference with the county executive last Friday to talk about red light cameras. They want to talk about enforcement, and that's the thing that draws interest from the state. It seems to be there's diverging opinions there. I think one of the things that's been clearly proven since 2020, and it seems like everyone's driving habits changed, was the penalties for being a repeat offender are not very high. People just keep driving, Mm. keep driving. And we've all seen those stories now. So-and-so had 45 speeding tickets and different moving infractions. So there has been some movement, uh, bipartisan at the state level to change, uh, the penalty system, allow city to impound vehicles, um, allow pursuing nuisance des- designations, which will allow someone to actually go to jail for their offenses. Uh, cause I think that's a hard thing for people to swallow is actually a lot of driving offenses you can't go to jail for. Absolutely. Uh, uh but what we saw in the red light camera discussion is Bob Donovan, um, now state assembly representative, a Republican, but longtime city council member was no, 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 we don't need red light cameras. And so I think that's going to be a much bigger um, fight to have is whether to allow that at the state level. All right. Well, Jeremy Janine, thank you so much for coming in the studio and telling us more about the projects that have been happening, their effectiveness, what we can expect as far as continued construction to redesign the roads. And we will continue to follow up with your uh, reporting on this topic. Thanks for having me. All right. You're listening to Spanning the State on WTMJ. I'm your host, Kristen Bry. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I'm Kristen Bry, along with Steve Scafidi. Steve, you have feelings about, would you like red light cameras? To no, I, I wouldn't. That, that's my, <laughs> I, I understand why people want them, and, and certainly I want to do everything to encourage people to slow the heck down and, and, and you know, respect traffic lights. But I, I actually had a real-life situation where my daughter was, you know, in Chicago, they have the ones, they send mm-hmm. you a little thing in the mail, you went through a le- red light. They actually sent me the pictures, and all the way through the intersection, it was a yellow light. And I challenged it. I said, why are you sending there a red light violation? It's all yellow. They never answered me. She still got charged, the, I think it was 115 bucks or something. Yeah. How? So if you go through it all, all yellow, that still counts as a red light violation? I never got an answer. So you don't like them because of the inaccuracy. Yes. Potential for inaccuracy. The fact that they can find you through the mail, right? Yeah. No one's watching that behavior. And I don't think they're perfect because that, that, illustri- that illustrates to me that they're not. And I think there's also a problem. I don't know what the rate of cars that would run a red light that what? have a front a front driver uh, <laughs> right. a license plate. Right. Because if they can't see the license plate, I don't know if you're really going to get that fine in the mail. So how do you approach an intersection? Like when you're driving, like when do you stop? When when it like right away, or do you like oh, I could go, I can make? What's your strategy? I mean, I would say in now going on three and a half years of living in Milwaukee, I've learned to not go as soon as the the light turns green because I've just heard too many stories of someone running a red light, mm-hmm. especially now that I a lot of the time have a baby in my car. I'm a more cautious driver than I certainly was ever before living in Milwaukee. And that was including living when I lived in L.A. and drove everywhere. Yeah, now it's, it's sort of a cl- cliche now because I've talked about it already once on the show, but Capital Drive is the worst. I, I, I literally could have been killed on Capital Drive, but I'm very cautious with intersections, especially in big cities. And I, if I wouldn't have been aware, this is when I had the right to go. I had a green light. 
of a car whipping through the intersection with a red light, not even looking. I would have been T-boned, could have been killed. But I had that awareness because of where I was, mm-hmm. right, Capitol Drive and some of those dangerous areas of our of our city. I, I've actually changed my behavior, and I'm very cautious with yellow lights. What's the rush? Where am I going that's that important? Yeah. So I just slow the heck down. Well, those are some of the areas with those big intersections, yeah. Fond du Lac, Capitol yeah. Drive, that I feel like, again, I know it's an unpopular opinion to be a fan of roundabouts, but some of those five-way intersections. It's nuts. It seems like. If your car lands in the middle of this cul-de-sac, it's better than T-boning another car. And I'm a fan now of roundabouts. I didn't think I would say that ever, but having gone through them all over the state, I actually kind of like them. Well, some good news, at least not only just good news with some of the projects in Milwaukee, but statewide. This was news out of uh, back in January that pedestrian deaths actually decreased in 2023 after it was a record high in 2022. I saw that number. I, I'm not sure what to attribute that to. So in, in 2022, it was 72 pedestrians were killed across the state. And last year, it fell to 59. And what's interesting is when I read this article from WPR, they don't really know what to attribute it no. to. I mean, I suppose the numbers could just fluctuate based on anything, any factors, weather or conditions or where people are congregating. But it just, it's it's crazy. It's Well, it's I mean, it's unfortunately... We have to own that in Milwaukee County, of the 59, 21 were in Milwaukee County. Yeah, we've got our share. Which you and I were just talking about. It's, I think it goes to the theme of reckless driving. But in a, in a place like Madison, it's interesting that that with the, all those pedestrians. But all right. Well, coming back after the break, we are going to be looking at some beautiful bottles of wine that have been mm. aged in the Adriatic Sea. But for now, we are going to this is Sighting Unlimited WTMJ News Time 130. ABC News and local headlines are next. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I'm your host, Kristen Bry, along with my guest, co-host, and friend, Steve Scafidi. Special guest. Special guest. And our next guests are special because they have brought some of the most unique and special and interesting wine I've ever heard of. And they've brought it to Wisconsin. Wisconsin is now the only state where you can buy this wine. And it's wine that has literally been aged under... In the Adriatic Sea for over a year. You can see it on the bottles. It's amazing. And it's coral has grown on the bottles. So if you would like to see what these bottles looks look like, text Wine of the Sea, and you can we'll text you a picture, a link to a picture of what these bottles actually look like. But text Wine uh, Wine of the Sea to the WTMJ talk and text line eight five five six one six one six twenty. But our guests now are Zarko Boykovic. And Nick Wood from BZ Consortium up in Wapaka, of all places. These wines, you guys live in Wapaka, right? Or, Nick, are you in Green Bay? I'm from Green Bay, yes. Zarko. I'm from Wapaka. You live in Wapaka. I hunted Wapaka. Which is on from here. It's between here and Stevens Point, I would say, is probably to give people geography lesson. Mm -hmm. How, how did this happen? (laughs) How did, let's, let's actually, let's back up. How, how does this wine actually work as far as why age it in the sea? Well, that's a great question. We get it all the time. Uh, it's Essentially, it's, the, it's nature's perfect cellar. There's nothing on land that can compare to what happens under the ocean. You've got uh, perfect constant temperature around 55 degrees. We're 100 feet down, uh, so you've got atmos- three atmospheres of pressure down there. 
Uh, you've got constant motion. The bottles are just, they're tied by the neck into these cages, and there's just subtle buoyancy and movement with the tides and currents. Uh, there's no light, essentially yeah. no light, and there's no oxygen. So all those factors that contribute to a- absolutely perfect aging, we have those uh, happening under the ocean. And does it speed up the process? Well, it, it it tends to, like with your big, bold Italian wines especially, it'll tend that, that need to sit for five years, ten years. They can lay down for 20, 30 years. Uh, that process, we can we, we think of uh, one year under the ocean, about the equivalent of three to five years in a traditional cellar. Interesting. So was this discovered by accident, or how did this discovery happen? I guess that's the thing that I'm curious about. Well, it's the... It's the Product of uh, an accident, yes. Uh, our partners uh, at Adriatic Shell, which is a company in uh, in Croatia that does the aging, he's actually got a, a mussel farm, so he he farms seafood. And the at Italy, if you know your geography, is just across just across the way. So mm-hmm. a lot of the Italian winemakers would come. They would, and it's basically it's a raft uh, in a little cove on a deserted island in the Adriatic Sea. <clears throat> Excuse me, and they would uh, they would test. Their new vintages of wine with the seafood and do the pairings and see what what worked together. Well, after the end of one season, uh, they just had a bunch of wine left over. They didn't want to take it back to the mainland because it all comes over on a boat, on a, a zodiac type boat. Um, so they didn't want to take it over. So he threw it in an oyster bag, threw it over the side because he didn't want anyone to steal it. And lo and behold, next season they came back and he, he gave it to the, the the man who made the wine, the, the vintner. And he said, this wine is different. It's changed. It's just not the same as what wasn't under the ocean. And from there, it's been 10 years of trial and error and increased production. And it's just been a, a wonderful story. So then how did, Zarko, how did you find out about it? And how did, what was the process of actually getting being able to, legally to import this? Because I think there was the FDA had to be involved. Yes. This is uh, all God of eating because we found this in uh, Wine Expo in uh, New York. Okay. My wife, uh, Biljana, and me, we was in Wine Expo with uh, some wineries from Slovenia, and uh, we was walking to, 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 to see other wineries there, and she said to me, look at that bottle of, of wine, amazing. And when we was uh, trying to see that bottle with the corals, is unbelievable, unbelievable looking. So we asked them, can we taste that wine? And they said, yes, absolutely. So we tasted and wow, like we drink the best silk of the wine. Unbelievable. How does it change the wine? Like what is, what, what is it, what's unique about that process? The process uniqueness is the constant movements. So a lot of other, uh, uh, but the main, is the constant movements because bottles has constant movements in the sea. When the bottles has the movements, they produce inside molecules. When molecules broken, gives tannin to be rounded, like you drink the best silk of wine, mm-hmm. and that wine no any nature can produce. Let's take, a, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to hear the rest of the story of how what it took to actually get the wine into the States. Our guests are Nick Wood and Zarko Bogovic, who are from the BZ Consortium. If you would like to see what the wine looks like, text Wine of the Sea at to the WTMJ talk and text line 855-616-1620. This is Spanning the State, and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry, along with Steve Scafidi, and we are talking about wine of the sea, wines of the sea, with our guests Nick Wood and Zarko Bogievic. Uh, You're going to get it right at some point. I am going to get it right at some point. You're Serbian. Yes, I am. How long have you been living in the States? I am in the States uh, 25 years. Okay. I'm guessing which winters are worse, Serbia or Wisconsin? <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> this is no winter. This, this is no winter. No, no, no. I love Wisconsin from Wisconsin. I, I don't love Wisconsin from Florida. So <laughs> no, any other, no any other states, no any other people like in Wisconsin. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to, Nick, I want to hear this about the story of what it took to get through the FDA and the regulations to actually be able to distribute this wine. Sure. So as, as Zarko was saying, they, they went to the, the, the Vin Expo in New York. That was 2019. They saw the bottle. They said, uh, and the, the folks were from Serbia. So they said, hey, can we import your wine? They said, yeah, we'd love you to. We've got other types of wine. But this one in, in particular, unfortunately, we can't get in the United States because there's an FDA advisory against aging wine under the ocean. About 10 years ago, there was a, a California winery that there was a big splash about a shipwreck. They found wine. It was still great, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so this California winery said, well, we're going to submerge wine. And they did it, made a big splash there in all the Wall Street Journal, all the, uh, the wine press. And that got the attention of the FDA, who said, wait a minute. You, they were putting it in Charlotte Harbor. And they said, there could be filth in that harbor, ballast water, sewage, anything, and it could get into the wine, therefore making it adulterated, mm-hmm. and you can't sell it. You can't, and they wouldn't let the TTB label it so as as wine for sale. So that advisory is still in effect. What we did through our work with Adriatic Shell was was just research. It was finding out what this process is. Ten years of data they had. It was. Beautiful, uh, all different types of closures, different depths, different times. So we just over the course of two and a half years, corresponding with the FDA, getting their objections on the table and one by one showing them exactly what we were doing, how we were doing it. And so that advisory still exists. It's still essentially illegal for anyone to do it in the United States, except we have a letter of no objection based wow. specifically on what we showed them. And so we're the only ones in the United States who can import and sell wine that's been aged into the ocean. Well, Paco, Wisconsin. <laughs> <Right> <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> I love it. All right, so I was reading a story this morning about ancient Italian wines, and they, apparently they like their wines spicy. What do these wines taste like? Oh. How would you describe the taste of, of a red? I'm looking at this one. First of all, the bottle's amazing. Amarone. So, so each wine, each wine you tasted will be the best wine you ever tasted. Absolutely. We have more than 16 varieties, different varieties, and each variety is absolutely wine which you will remember always, like uh, the best wine you ever tasted. So we don't make wine. Mm -hmm. We source wine. Our our partners at Adriatic Shell, Sommelier, uh, just, and they've got all the neighbors, you know, the the, the friends in, in the small Italian wineries that in the best regions, but the, these wines never get to the United States. Same with some of the French, the Chablis, the Bordeaux, the, uh, the, uh, Dr. Tanich, the doctor, uh, the, the Rieslings. Um, so we go out and source these wines, particular Damagoy, our partner there, 
he tastes 2,000 some wines every season just to, to select. I want that job. job. I want that job. Wow. And and he would tell you that it is kind of a rough job. He's like, I don't want to drink wine anymore. Really? Well, because it's so, I mean, it's it's a lot. It's just research. It's it's a little bit of drudgery because you're (laughs) tasting and spitting. But it's uh, it's to find the best wines, number one. That's kind of like table stakes to get into the Wine of the Sea programs. It's got to be fantastic wine to begin with. And then once we put it under the ocean, it just gets that much. Does it have to be the ocean? How about Lake Michigan, for example? So we get a lot of questions about that, especially coming from Wapaka, yeah, which right. has the, the chain of lakes. You mm-hmm. know, in all the world, no lakes like these. And we'll, let's just put some down in Round Lake and see what happens. Well, that's, number one, you'd have some DNR issues. You'd have a lot of you know other permitting issues. But if you think of Lake Michigan, I mean, you're not going to get beautiful corals like this. You're going to get no. zebra mussels, yes. right, or quagga mussels. It's going to be a mess. Yes. So technically, could you do it? I suppose you, there'd be a lot of regulatory hurdles to get through, uh, but I can't believe that you guys have the, the market cornered on this. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. All right, when we come back, talking about corners, Hills Corner is where you can actually find this wine. So we'll talk about where you can find this wine, both online and in Southeast Wisconsin. When we come back, this is Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I'm Kristen Bry, along with Steve Scafidi. And once again, Wapaka, fine wine, wines of the sea. Text wine of the sea if you want to see a picture of what the bottles look like. Um, but before we let you go, because we're coming up at the top of the hour already, where can people find this wine? They can go to the website, right? Yes. But uh, uh, com. But also you can find in Milwaukee in Festival Food, Hell's Corner. Uh, they have some varieties of our uh, wine, but also you can go in your favorite wine shop and ask them to bring you wine of the sea. Easy to do. We all have our yeah. favorite yes. place. Yeah, yeah. Wine, wine of the sea. The text number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. Yeah, it's, it's this is amazing. How many bottles a year do you? So we uh, last year we imported uh, seven thousand bottles. Is very rare. Is very rare, and each box has a single collector number. So very rare wine. You cannot find in big numbers. So projections is for this year to be imported 12,000 bottles. Wow. And uh, maybe for uh, from next year, um, uh, uh, because we need to expand our project, we will import uh, between thirty-five to 50,000 bottles. And so what of sales? Because last year, was last year the first year? Yes. And you sold out almost immediately. It was just a partial year. Yes. Yeah. And so how has it been trending this year as far as you've gotten a lot of press? Obviously, I think the link we've been sending out is for Forbes. You're on WTMJ. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but what is, is, it's obviously just growing as far as people, not only because of the beautiful bottle, but because as Zarko said, yeah, we have, we have the best uh, in New Jersey, one, uh, st- one store in New, in New Jersey. For three months, they sold 55 cases. Wow. And a manager of that store uh, told me, Zarko, we started uh, to sell your wine by the bottle, and we have customers who is buying by the cases because everybody loves your wine. The simply the best wine you ever tasted in your life. So Festival Foods in Hills Corner... Mm-hmm. Wine of the sea, wines of the sea, or wine of the sea dot com. Wine of the sea dot com. No, no s. no s, no s. Perfect. Zarko Bogovic. Thank you. Nick Wood. 
This has been so fun. I'm so thank you so much for the wine. Again, it's one of the most beautiful bottles I've ever seen. Yeah, thank pleasure you for to meet you guys too. Us. Thank you. Appreciate very much for spreading a story for uh, local Wisconsin companies. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is exactly what this this show is supposed to be about: is bringing stories from across the state. Maybe on the next time I go up to my parents' house in Wisconsin Rapids, I'll stop in Wapaka. There you go. There we go. We're just testing out a tagline: "Wine of the Sea in all the world. No wines like these." Ooh, I like kind that. Kind of a ripoff from our Wapaka friends. There you go. I love Wapaka. I already told you that. Yeah. All right. Well, coming up next hour, we are going to be joined by Caitlin Shuda, who has recently been reporting on the rural health care crisis throughout Wisconsin, specifically in western Wisconsin with the closing of two more hospitals. And then later in the hour, we are going to be talking about a league of their own, except not the movie. The actual league that started with two teams in Wisconsin will be joined by Tracy Sunday and John Nondorf, who is a historian, to talk about that. Stay with us. I am Kristen Bry. He's Steve Scafidi, and this is Spanning the State on WTMJ.